Oh my gosh, Laura, I am so excited to have you here. I can't wait to dig in. You guys, um, you're in, in for a treat. Laura's um, journey has been so, 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 so inspiring. I can't wait to um, uh, connect you guys and let you know everything that I've learned from her, from just reading the book and, and a little bit of learning. So thank you for being here, Laura. Appreciate you. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So um, for those that don't know, um, Laura wrote a book, and, and I'll probably explain this in the show notes and everything, but Laura wrote a phenomenal book. I could not put it down, honestly. She's just so talented at telling the story. I felt like I was there with her. And what's crazy is that I was actually in New Mexico when she was talking about the part of getting married, oh, I won't spoil it, but like, I just felt like I was with you the entire time and the whole Aww. journey. Um, so this, that was pretty, pretty awesome. Um, so I want to start with like, give us an update where you're at now, what's happening in your life, what, what's going on with you right now? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm on the book tour right now. And, and I'm like, I'm in this weird space where I've done 15 different events now. I just got back from Seattle this morning and I was in Denver a few days before and I'm going to let myself rest now for three, for three weeks. And I'm really looking forward to it because I think I need a little bit of balance and, and I don't know, like a little bit of a sense of normalcy. And I feel like I've earned it. I've been working really hard, <laughs> um, but it's been, um, I'm almost feeling lately like the book tour is like a new book or it's like it's just another story in itself getting to connect with all these amazing people who are reading the book or you know just being introduced to it and and having the opportunity to speak about it in front of people that's been really enjoyable and, and a blessing for me I had no idea uh, as a writer that I was going to um, enjoy speaking so much yeah what's interesting is that when I was reading the book, you were saying, I am fulfilling my dad's wish list. And, um, and now that my dad's wish list is done, now I'm doing my own wish list, mm -hmm. which is like, to me, I, I get goosebumps just thinking about that of how empowering your journey began by helping someone else or, or doing it for someone else. And then now is, is doing it for yourself. And this, I, I totally agree with you. There is like many books in you already to be written. Um, do you mind telling us a little bit about the book and just a little summary uh, for, for those that are curious about reading your book? Sure. Um, my book is about how when I was 38 years old, about six months after my wedding, my brother discovered uh, my dad's bucket list. And he was about to get married himself. We were up visiting him and he had just bought his first house. And it turned out he had had this list um, inside of a box for 13 years. Uh, our father passed away uh, when I was 25 and he was 23 because of a distracted driver. And I had actually become an activist um, with safe driving for a couple of years around the time my husband proposed. Um, I think because it was bringing me... Uh, you know, it was bringing me a sense of agency with what happened because I still had a lot of leftover anger about the way my dad died. And now that my husband had proposed marriage, I was feeling some dread about walking down the aisle and, and, and feeling like he wasn't going to be there with me, which was a thing that, of course, you always think will happen as, as a little girl. Um, and, 
you know, doing the activism, speaking in high schools, um, some of my activism involved running. I would, I would do marathons and then I would raise money for organizations that were trying to change laws. That was making me feel a little bit, le a little bit more in control of the situation. But I also was somewhat frustrated by my activism because I felt like, I just feel like my dad wouldn't want me to keep talking about his death. Um, and, and there was, he was such a, a lively, um, just full person. Um, and I wanted to represent him in a way that felt to me like it was fully him. And I think I had always sort of wanted to do that since he died because it felt so abrupt. And um, I felt like I hadn't given him uh a sense of legacy or or almost like a dignified send off when he died. So I think when the list showed up, even though he wrote it in 1978 when I was a baby and the term bucket, it just struck me immediately as this is the way I could do that. Um, my husband only met him one time. He died five days later and uh, he knew as soon as he saw it that this was a book and he works in publishing and he's a book designer himself. So. Um, we set out to do it. And, you know, it's funny because people ask me a lot, you know, how did you know that you needed to do this? And it really was a spiritual thing. Um, I, I sometimes I compare it to that moment, you know, in, in, in myth where uh, the future King Arthur pulls Excalibur out of the stone. Yes, <laughs> like it just, it yeah. felt like a, it was a spiritual calling for me that I was supposed mm -hmm. to finish this list and write a book about it. And the book is you know, sometimes people tell me it's, it's a lot more than they thought it would be. They thought it was just going to be a, a, you know, a chronological telling of me going on all these adventures, which I did talk about a little bit on Instagram and my blog while I was doing it. Uh, but it, 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 it's also about my dad and it's about me and it's about, you know, um, my growth. And the only way I think that I could fully uh, illustrate the growth that I was experiencing because of this project was by going back to the past and sharing some of the things I had experienced as a kid and, you know, things that were shaping my identity along the way. Yeah, it's incredible. I was listening to um, your book and I was saying, this is a movie, like you need to turn this into a movie. I don't know if they've I'm asked trying. you already. <laughs> yes, yeah. but I was like, this will be an amazing movie. And um, I love the I wrote down so many of um, your quotes because they were just just gold for me. One of the quotes that you that you said was, "You can't be heard if you refuse to be seen." Like yeah. that gave me goosebumps. How did you come about so many intuitive and, and spiritual connections and insights? Like, were you always like that growing up or, or how did that develop? Maybe it was dormant. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think I have always been a very uh, introspective person um, and, and getting to write this book was helping me uh, access something, you know, access my subconscious, access something in me that really wanted expression. I mean, when you read that line, what did that mean to you? When I thought about it is so many of us want to be heard, but when we're not being vulnerable and we're not showing our authentic self, then how can people really hear the truth of who we are if we're not showing the truth of who we are? Is that what you meant yeah. by that? Or is yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, because it was like, I believe that line comes in chapter one when it was a moment where I was I, <laughs> I was doing the first list item and I was completing running 10 miles straight, but I also forgot that that meant I couldn't stop to use the bathroom. 
So inevitably I started peeing my pants and, and I, I, I had to make a decision, right? Like, am I so embarrassed that I'm just going to give up on this list item and maybe do it another day and go find a bathroom or am I just going to be okay with it? You know, and it just struck me as I was writing about it later, uh, how many times in my life I'd been in situations like that where I, I limited um, how much of myself I was willing to show other people just so I could be liked, you know, or just so I could be respected um, and, and had created such a persona around myself of this person I wanted everyone to see. And when you do that, I guess it feels safer, right? Like it feels like, okay, I, I feel in control. Like I, like I said before, like doing the activism was giving me more of a sense of control. And when you have a mask and that's what you show people, you get to feel in control. But there's a big difference between feeling liked because you're in control and truly known. And the only way you're going to get that real authentic connection and love is if you're just like, here's me, warts and all and I'm okay with it. And and that's powerful because when you get to experience that with other people, cause you're showing up as you, that's when you get, to, you get the growth. That's when you start to become more than you thought you could be. And, and that, you know, that's being heard. I think you can't expect people to dig through multiple layers to get to the real you like it's so much easier to have that connection if you're just showing up as you in that moment and it's not easy like that really was my first lesson with the list i had to find a way to get there because i didn't have time for all the layers doing 54 items in six years <laughs> but honestly it was it was a limit limitation that's awesome it's so 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 cool how you showed throughout the book your connection, your spiritual connection with your dad and how you listen to the messages. It's like in every part, I felt like your dad was with you and, and you expressed it in such a beautiful way, uh, feeling connected to your dad in, in so many ways. Is this something that you you developed after your dad passed? Is that something that, that you, or you've always been sort of in tune and, and intuitive in that sense? I think there's a sense that I always, there's a chance I always was, and, mm -hmm. and it was not being um, used, you know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, because I remember the first time feeling something like that um, when I was in high school and I was running late for school and I had to figure out a way to get there and I just started walking. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was, I had a very sheltered upbringing. <laughs> like I lived in the suburbs of Wilmington, Delaware. I didn't walk anywhere. Like I, we drove everywhere and I, mm. I couldn't comprehend that like this one little corner of the highway was not a place I should be walking. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, I sort of like made a run for it. And I remember distinctly feeling as I did this at age 16, or it must've been 15. I'm, I couldn't have had a driver's license yet. Um, I remember feeling almost like a hand pushing me to go faster yeah. across wow. this intersection, like a, not like a large hand, almost like a yes. cartoonish, like hand of God yes. or something. But yes. I remember feeling that and thinking something had protected me. That mm. That's the first time I can recall having any kind of intuitive connection or a sense mm. of something bigger than me. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, also before 9-11, like the morning of 9-11, I woke up in a panic. 
and mm. I had some sense that something was happening. Wow. And then later that, of course, you know, I'm sure a skeptical person would be like, oh, yeah, it's easy to connect one to the other after the fact, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, you woke up with a panic. Maybe that was a coincidence. It happened the same day as 9-11. OK, but I still believe that that was me having totally. an inner knowing. Um, mm -hmm. and, and because it was such an enormous event, it was this really mm -hmm. spiritually charged event that yes. that might be why. Um, and even, you know, and I wrote about this in the book, the week before my dad died, when we came back from visiting Delaware, my husband had met him for the first time. I saw a billboard and suddenly knew I wasn't going to see him yes. in this yes. life. You know, I wasn't going to yes. interact with him in, in body again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I just started having these feelings of dread before something really big was going to happen. And I was learning to trust them, but that really mm. was the extent of it. Um, it wasn't until um, I agreed to do this project and, and go after his dreams that I, I really started hearing, you know, two or three word sentences from him here and there and, and uh, noticing guidance, noticing suddenly I was seeing hearts every day um noticing when i felt like he was communicating when a song played or an animal showed up and we started having this grasshopper show up every single year on the anniversary of his death i mean come on <laughs> you know and there were there were so many serendipitous things that would happen with the list like a, a the right person i needed to meet to make something happen like talk with the president you know jimmy carter's biographer showing up when he did um, the tuxedo I needed to own a tuxedo showing up in the window of the boutique, um, yes. you know, just crazy timing of things that I never could have orchestrated myself. And, mm -hmm. you know, what was beginning to happen was I was just starting to trust that yes. my dad's spirit was part of this and this was a partnership and he was helping mm -hmm. me. And and even in the writing, I mean, there were so many times during the writing where I was afraid of my own voice and I would really trust that he was prodding me along and 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 trying to give me courage in so many um sections you spoke about your dad giving you a very clear message like yes here do this like mm -hmm. and that honestly i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because i i can feel in your book i can feel the emotion of everything i could feel when you're voice would break a little bit and it was just like melt my heart thinking about it and i could also sense the empowerment you quoted so many powerful women in your references women's feet um running or um swimming or maria yeah. Teresa, like so many instances um where you pulled in that goddess or that empower warrior uh that you are to get you through and what a beautiful experience um and and i i wonder though if that's something that um you had it purposely put in the book or is that something that really has guided you um um yeah I, it was guiding me naturally i mean i was re i would research every list item and the thing that would shock me every time was just these incredible <laughs> historical women who had done whatever the list item was because i'm approaching this as okay this is a man's list from 1978 it's crazy that a woman in 2017 is doing this you know <laughs> and and then when i would discover these stories about incredible women who had been on these adventures i mean one of my favorites that i don't think I ended up making it in the book was nelly bly you know like mm -hmm. in the 1800s she she was the first woman to travel around the world 
and people don't often know about her and and how think about all the difficulties she encountered because back then women weren't allowed to travel alone you know mm -hmm. and i think yeah. i was supposed to learn about her because now here i am and i just went to denver and seattle alone for for a book tour and you know so for, cool. for part of the list and i wrote about this in the book i went to vienna and berlin alone for two weeks yes. and you know it's it's crazy to me now that there was a time when I thought that was too scary, when I thought that was a bad idea for me to be doing. And um, I think, yeah, I genuinely think my dad was sort of trying to remind me of the girl I was and how he would take us on these hikes, you know, and he would teach me how to be the navigator and how to be the person who was going to find our way back home. And this, I think this was a skill he knew I needed to have in my life because I was going to be a woman who made independent choices and who guided other people. And I think he saw that in me at a very young age. And once I got to a certain age, and I think a lot of women go through this, it's like, you know, society almost starts to tell you your, your value is in your belonging. You know, your value is in the role that you play in other people's lives, whether that's as you know, a first a daughter and a sister, and then later as a mother and a wife and a grandmother and so forth. And, you know, I, I love my family and I love my husband and I love the roles that I get to play. But those, those roles are, you know, no, for me, no different than they would be for a man in his life. Like they're just my, my roles. They're not who I am. Yeah. And for a long time, I allowed my insecurity about, you know, watching other women in my life start to acquire more roles, for, for lack of a better way of explaining that, like getting married and becoming mothers. And as I'm watching it happen, I'm like, oh, you know, I want to be on par with everyone else. <laughs> you know, like, I don't yeah. want to be left behind. And, and I think that happens to us as women, like, are we still valuable? Are we getting too old? You know, mm -hmm. and it's so ridiculous, because it's like, Yes. Who cares? Like, that's not who your spirit is. That's not who you really are. How can you find your real path if, if you're obsessed with feeling like you've been pushed off to the sidelines of the road everybody else is on? You know, yes. and, and that being like being so focused on that for so long was seriously limiting me. And I didn't know it. Like, I didn't know because I'm so worried, like I'm not walking down an aisle at the same age as other women I know. Um, I'm missing out on the fact that, oh, one day I'm going to be walking down a road in Denver because I'm going to my own book event from a book that I wrote about, about this independent life I finally claimed for myself, you know? And I just think there's so many other women out there who are like that, who are truly very individual and independent, and they're missing it. And they're that way for a reason. Yes. I, I love how you were talking about your insecurities and, and you're so genuine about that. Even in the book, you talked a little bit about your um, the struggles that you have with all these doctors giving you different medications for mental health oh, yeah. and all of that. It was just like, I'm blown away with what you went through and how you were able to sort of get yourself out of that. Do you want to mention briefly a little bit about how that was for you, that journey? Yeah, I felt like I had to be completely transparent about that. Um, and because it, it, it was part of what was shaping who I was and how I thought about things. I mean, you know, just now I was sort of touching on how I think a lot of women fall prey to wanting to be valuable and wanting to belong and be loved. Um, and for me, that 
that compulsion was really heightened because when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with depression. I went through, you know, a, almost a decade of doctors trying to find the right medication. And then just as I graduated college, I had been seeing a doctor who had me on, you know, as many as nine medications at once, was giving me a bunch of different diagnoses that weren't accurate for me. And I had to go to a hospital to get off all of them. And it was scary. It was very stigmatizing. I mean, I had a boyfriend dump me afterwards because it was like, oh, I can't date a woman who was in a hospital. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, coming from, you know, a little town in Delaware like I did, it was very, um, uh, it just was a life-changing experience for me because I just wanted to run away when it happened. I mean, I was running towards New York to, to go after my own dreams as a writer but I also was running away from a life that I was very ashamed of now. Um, so for a long time, I think I was using my career as a journalist because I was successful with that, even though that did take a very long time. And, you know, this new persona I had is this like, you know, fancy New Yorker. <laughs> like I was almost using that to compensate for the shame I was still carrying about this secret about being in this hospital. Um, and, you know, um, one of the things I shared in the book was that my father was a closeted crossdresser and it was not something that he ever talked about with me but it was something that changed his life and changed our lives and when the list arrived you know i i felt like i was almost starting to become a person who was who was uh defined by my secrets more than like we talked about before more than showing up and being who i really am i was always this person who just was like don't let them find out who I really am, you know, it was that it was to that degree. And I, I just I think I just felt like my even though I couldn't relate to my dad's experience with his gender and his choices in his life, um, I could relate to the idea of how much having a secret can limit you from your full expression of who you are and how society was the was stigmatizing him and making him keep that secret. So it, it, I guess what it occurred to me was I need to share this. I need to talk about these things that I experienced and that I used to be ashamed of so that I don't have that shame anymore and so that the reader understands why I needed so badly to get out of my comfort zone. Because quite honestly, what started happening for me with my dad's death was that was now becoming a second hospital. That was becoming a second source of fear and anxiety and shame. And if I couldn't reframe that if I couldn't find a way to get acceptance of the fact that he died the way that he did. And that's not to say that, you know, distracted driving is okay. It's just in my particular situation, I needed to accept that this was the way he died. And now he was with me in a new form. Like I couldn't get there if I had too much shame and I needed to not talk about it. Like I, I needed to find a way to talk about the fact that this happened to him so that I could move forward and and find gratitude in it. I mean, I'm not grateful that he died when I was 25, but I am grateful that I found peace about it, you know? Yes. And and I, I fully accept that, that that was part of his life plan and it was part of mine. Mm, I love that, I love that. The There is a saying, secrets keep you sick. And I can see yeah. how um, people staying in that in, in that mode of secrecy, they're not living life authentically. And mm -hmm. how amazing too, you not only shared about your, your struggles with, you know, getting off the medication and going through mental health uh, clinics and all of that, but also 
your own experience with your father and the courage to learn. You know, in your book, you talked about meeting with someone who is an expert and you're like, I want to learn. Let's go. I, teach me. That to me is so much love that you were uh, showing for your father, for, you know, the who you are and trying to really learn um, and be present with everything in regards to that. So that's beautiful. Um, you mentioned before about the grasshopper going around and <laughs> the, the, you also mentioned a dragonfly and I had no idea that, that, um, grasshoppers only go forward. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's why a grasshopper showed up in my life. I was just, I was with you and the entire time when you were talking about, um, every, now every time I see a dragonfly, I remember the part of the book, uh, that you talked about the dragonfly's maturity. Yes. It it's maturity. Yeah. So beautiful. Um, then you had other, uh, you had other quotes that I took note of. I'm responsible for my own happiness. That was so beautiful. That felt so right. Like it wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm responsible. It was a knowing. It was a, I am yeah. doing this. It was a transformation. Do you remember that moment? Yeah, I think I was 21 when I mm. had that realization. It was after my grandmother died. And mm. boy, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> It was the kind of thing that, 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 I mean, you asked me before, did I have any, um, uh, connection with spirit before my dad died? And that probably would be another example of that because I remember feeling like, you know, I'm getting now a taste of, well, this is real life. People die. And, and I was, I was pretty young, but you know, um, she died of natural causes. She had colon cancer and she was ill and it didn't seem weird to me that she had passed away at, you know, age 80, but I was feeling like, um, what would she want me to do? You know, what advice would she give me for how to live my life? And that would be the kind of advice she would give, you know, that because she was such an independent woman and, you know, so often on this tour and, and going and talking to people and doing interviews like I'm doing with you right now, or, you know, I've had these TV interviews I've gotten to do and just the the exposure so cool. I'm getting with this, it's like, I know my grandmother is cheering for me because she saw that in me at a really mm -hmm. young age and she nurtured it. And mm -hmm. she taught me that I was responsible for the choices I made in my life. Um, uh, and that I couldn't just, you know, we can't depend on other people to make us happy. You know, if you have to try to, to try to nurture that friendship with yourself, with yes. your higher self, because you always have something inside of you that is guiding you and looking out for mm -hmm. you. It doesn't have to be a spirit of a dead loved one, you know, and it doesn't, it shouldn't be the people all around you. It's not their job, you know, mm -hmm. like you have to be able to be okay in any situation. And that's really, I think yeah. what that was about, because that was when I was going through that with all the medications. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult for such a young person to say I'm responsible for my own happiness. That's, that requires a level of maturity that, you know, it's hard to find. There was a, yeah. another piece where you talked about the horseshoe and um, I love, love, love when you said that love can enter when you give it away. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Can you, can you talk about that? Cause I, I cannot even <laughs> give it justice, but that was so phenomenal. I'm just so thrilled to be talking to you. You're a person who got all the symbols. That's so cool because I don't always get to talk about all this stuff. I, I really like mythology. I really like just noticing these very little visual omens that we have, you know, like the book, The Alchemist talks about look for yes. the omens. That's really what I was doing on this journey. 
the horseshoe ended up becoming the, the symbol for the entire thing for me um, because I recognized that there were two different positions. I mean, if you hang a horseshoe on your house and it's in the U shape, that's a much more conservative position because what you're saying is I don't want my luck to spill out and I don't want to lose anything. And when I learned about that, I sort of related to it because I thought, oh, that's how I have felt since my dad died. You know, I've been I've been trying to save face, like I said, wearing masks, having a persona since I was in the hospital and I was so embarrassed about it. You know, I've been this I've been let's acquire stuff, you know, <laughs> like like let me see, like let me make the world think that I'm I'm good, that I'm OK. You know, it's almost like I've started wearing armor, which a lot of people do when they go through something traumatic. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't able to fully feel, you know, I wasn't able to fully um, be in the moment and, and live my life. Instead, it was more like I just was trying to look as though I was living a great life. And I think that's something now we're in an age now where that's happening a lot with people with social media and things like that. Um, and this was even before that. But then when I learned that there's another position of the horseshoe that's lucky, which is more like a rainbow shape or an arch shape. And of course, that's in the East, right? Like it's it's with Eastern philosophy, like everything is the opposite of how we do things in the West. And totally. like if you if you believe in that position as lucky, what you're saying is I trust in Providence. You know, mm -hmm. I trust that there's a greater power that is bringing yes. things to me. And I recognize, well, wait a minute, if I'm going to choose this position for what I wear and you can see I'm wearing it today, like this is the, oh. the virtue that I wear now. Yeah. She, so she's uh, referring to a necklace that has the U uh, upside down. Yeah, the art upside down. Yes. Yeah, because yes. it's a reminder. And sometimes I'll, I'll, I've noticed I'll be in conversation with people and I'm, I have my fingernail on this little ridge oh, at the top of it. I almost like I'm that. saying, okay, you know, <laughs> bring <laughs> <swear> it. <laughs> you know, yes. I'm trying to like, you know, download here. But, but mm -hmm. I mean, the thing I recognize about that position that was so cool is that if you want to live that way, if you want to truly have faith that there's something bigger than you involved, mm -hmm. and it's not just you in this little boat trying to like mm -hmm. get stuff, you're here for a reason and you're mm -hmm. being given gifts and you're being given opportunities and connections yes. for a reason. If you want to believe that mm -hmm. what goes hand in hand in it is you also have to let go. Yes. You also yes. you can't be in that little Surrender. boat anymore, that little bucket holding on and, and just holding on and holding on. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. have to be willing to be the spirit that you are walking mm. through life and and giving you know with open with open arms and open hands finding mm. opportunities to give to other people and it, uh. it occurred to me that's how love works you know yes. god loves us so much and we're yes. meant to yes. um replicate that in our connections mm -hmm. with others and um, so now when i when I meet new people or i'm even reconnecting with an old friend and i'm having many opportunities to do that on this book tour I'm always being guided by that. I'm always mm -hmm. thinking, what can I do to make this person feel loved? Mm -hmm. Or at least to express it. You can't change yeah. how people feel about themselves, but you can mm -hmm. you can adjust how you are in the moment. Um, and I, I really do believe we're, we're supposed to do that. And, and that's why I embrace this, because yes. I find that if I let go of that need to control my luck or mm -hmm. um, how I experience love with others, everything flows. You know, yes. and things happen that I never could have expected. Things happen in a way that is so much better mm -hmm. than I ever could have dreamed of. So, I mean, yes. if you're going to go after things in your life that you dream about doing, it's a much better way to go about it. And I feel blessed that I discovered it because now I can just live that way all the time.
Mm, I love that. I love that. You should totally start creating necklaces, you know, that go with the book and, and Maybe, sell them. Yeah. Yes. Well, honestly, actually, I it's interesting. I, I just met a jeweler. It's interesting you say that. I met a jeweler at my reading in Woodstock and she's like, I'm going to create one that's inspired by you and this book. I so I'm thinking like, like, I need to find her and see if she can like link to it or yes. something. <laughs> yeah, honestly, because it would be a movement. Like I can see myself wearing that as a movement, yeah. as a way of telling the world, like I am here giving and trusting God to provide for me so I can shower for everybody else. Like I would totally wear one. If you, if okay. you're doing I'll look, it, I'll... I'll look into it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's what reminds, it's what reminds me. It's funny. I kind of, part of me is like, oh, but it's just my thing. But you're right. Like if other people relate to it, maybe it would be yes. cool for them a to have ring, that too. Yeah. I would totally wear a ring too with the little U-shaped thing. So and I love what you're saying, because we tend to hold on, like, I got to hold on because I don't know when it's coming again. And that's yeah. scarcity thinking. Exactly. And what you're saying is like, just shower me with your grace, you know, which is oh, so beautiful. Well, yeah. And the point of abundance isn't so that you can collect it all in a bucket and be like, look at all I have, you know, it's, <laughs> it's so you can share it. Yes, exactly. Um, something that I wanted to ask you why I was driving to Taos and I was listening to your uh to your book and I was curious like you speak so much of New Mexico and your experiences like tell me what is it about it that you are so drawn like why did you even and in the book you said that you got married right in in uh, New Mexico so why that place what is it about it that that I I didn't hear about that. So tell me. I just I just think I'm I'm drawn to it. Um, Georgia O'Keeffe lived there. She was my yes. favorite artist. Um, and also just one of my heroes. Um, my husband went there before I did, and he it was part of his cross country trip to Seattle. And it's funny because like I just spent the the last couple of days with his friend who he went out there with because she lives there oh, now. Wow. So she was telling me little stories that I hadn't heard before. <laughs> uh, but when I met him, he said, you know. Uh, we're gonna like he was in Seattle. I was in New York. It was right after my dad died and we took this crazy cross-country trip together from Seattle to New York and it was not quite what I thought it was gonna be. It was wasn't as romantic as I thought it would be because you know my dad had just passed away. Um, but a year later after we had survived our first year in New York, he said, well, I really want to bring you back to the Southwest. That was what I discovered on my first drive and you know, it's so different from here and it really was. It was like you know, um, it was almost like a palate cleanser of New York City for me, as much as I do love New York, too, and I still live just right outside of it. Uh, it just felt like heaven. It felt like otherworldly, like a place I'd never been before. And the way they embrace artists there and creativity yes. and, you know, the spirituality of um, Native American cultures was something that really resonated with me. I mean, even now we're talking about this, excuse me, this art shaped necklace. And then if you walk anywhere in New Mexico, you're going to see the squash blossom necklaces with the horseshoe, which is really almost like a crescent at the bottom. And that's where that's the eastern one. Wow. That's where okay. that's the reason they have that there is it came from the east, the Spanish mm -hmm. Moors brought that shape to to New Mexico. So wow. I mean, you're already living in a culture where you have that necklace everywhere. Yes. But you know, wow. it's, it's a very feminist symbol too, right? Um, I think part of why they wear those necklaces is almost like, um, I might be wrong about this, but it, but in my study of, of those cultures, I believe it's a more of a matriarchal uh, culture, a lot of the, the Native American cultures there. So 
I really, I love places that are like that. I love artistic enclaves. Um, it, it, I think for me, New Mexico is just one of the few places I've discovered where I felt uh, like it was a nurturing environment for me to grow and be more yeah, who I am. For sure. Everybody was so nice when I went there and the culture, I went to the George O'Keefe uh, Museum too, and it's just so empowering. So beautiful and bright. It's just, uh, what a great experience for sure. I like it. Um, I have a question for you that I didn't hear in the book, which is why, why were you vegan or why are you vegan? And is that something that you've always been or something you took on? Um, that sort of, it aligns with the horseshoe philosophy mm. a little bit um, because you know, at some point I started recognizing that the type of activism I was doing, um, I was finding um, outlets for my anger with my activism at that time. I was I was really almost like tisk tisking and like shaming people and being like, God, you know, I told you about distracted driving. Why are you still texting? <laughs> you know, like just not not speaking in a tone that was conducive to growth <laughs> and conducive mm -hmm. to learning and being mm -hmm. like, hey, my my tragic experience should be enough for you to change your behavior. That's sort of how I was approaching it. And mm -hmm. I had an experience at a party where I found out that a loved one was doing that and I really got emotional um, and, you know, selfish in a way with the way I was expressing those emotions and felt, I kept saying to myself, oh, well, you know, I'm an activist first, <laughs> like before <laughs> I think about my family. And, and then it, I got really bummed out because I thought, well, that's not right. Yeah, I can't mm. be an activist first. I have to be love first, like love for my family. You know, mm. that matters to me. That matters to me more than anything ever, even more than my writing, you know? So um, I figured out eventually that and I was saying this to my husband, why is it that I could be working so hard to educate about safe driving and it's not sticking with people who love me? And he said, because, you know, you can't, like, he basically was like, you have to be the change yourself. You can't force people to change. And then he said, you know, I've been showing you things about animal rights for years and you're not vegan, you know, he's like, and he, he had been vegan himself for like eight years at that point. And I would say I ate vegan, I don't know, 75% of the time because my husband's a great cook. So I'm very lucky. Nice. So I thought maybe like maybe as an experiment, I could try his diet. You know, I could I could try to live the way that he does, because what he was doing was role modeling for me because he was the kind of person who was making the choice to be vegan, but he didn't force it on anybody else ever. He was basically just saying, this is what's right for me and this is how I live and I'm not going to hide it. And then it occurred to me, oh, I could apply that to my safe driving stuff too. That's a really good point. I yeah, could say, but... this is how I live. This is what works for me. Yeah. I'm not going to hide it. And that's it. That's all I had to do. And you know, you Love make it. your own choices and yes. I'm going to give you the, the information and the education mm -hmm. about it, but I can't control it. Yeah. What you're going to choose yeah. to do out of, and I recognize it was sort of like a convenience thing, you mm -hmm. know, even though someone might know or understand, oh, I know that people die sometimes when people use their phones, if they mm -hmm. feel like, oh, that's not gonna happen to me, I'm in the moment. So like, I'm just gonna do what I need to do. That's mm -hmm. really why people are making those choices um, because that's how our culture is nurturing that. 
And I just thought, you know, if I choose to eat vegan, then I'm having an impact on something. I'm impacting animals and I'm impacting the environment. And there's so many different things I'm participating in by making that choice. And I feel more connected in a way. So I, I just feel like I need to have that be the way I do everything. So that's what I do now. I just try to be the change. And I think that's, pro that's probably why the veganism stuck. I think otherwise it might not have. Because <laughs> I was just so insistent, like, I need to make this work. <laughs> and honestly, honestly, since then, I mean, it's been five years, and, and vegan food has come a long way. It's not yes. as hard to do now. <laughs> And it, and it does help to have a husband that cooks really good vegan food, for yes, sure. Yes, it does. I need yeah. to learn. I need to get better myself. But, yeah, I'm very fortunate. <laughs> That's awesome. There was something else that you mentioned, um, crystals showing up everywhere. Um, I Would you say that that's sort of like your dad's sign or is more like you just tuning into the earth or... Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've never thought about it like that. That's really interesting because I have that. Yeah, I have become like I was just saying, I feel more connected to animals mm -hmm. and to the environment. And, you know, I talk about uh, tree symbolism a lot in my book, because that was the one thing I was noticing was was a re like a pattern like showing up everywhere I went, of course, right, because there's trees everywhere. <laughs> Yes. But there's all different kinds of trees, you know, and I was like, yes. oh, I wonder what that one means, you know, and I would look it up later. And um, when I would find different kinds of stones, a lot of the times it was they were they were part of a mountain I was hiking. Um, and I it's like the the experience of getting to the top of that mountain was so meaningful to me that I think I wanted a piece of it to bring with me to remember. Um, and, you know, like I'm right now or during our conversation, I've been holding my green adventure in heart. Which helped me write the book because this was yes. the first one I ever got. I got this in a little town called Madrid in New Mexico beautiful. on the side of the road. And it just called to me and I didn't know what adventuring was. I didn't know what it meant. I mm -hmm. just felt like this is something that's going to help me be brave. And adventuring, mm -hmm. a green adventuring helps you embrace new adventures. Wow. It gives, gives you courage. That's what it is. Wow. And the fact that it's heart shaped too really yes. resonates with the color me. green, which is a color of the heart chakra. Wow. Exactly. Because um, I recognize, like I, I had my first ever experience with a psychic right when I was starting to my book and I had just lost my job and I was very afraid and I was like, oh, is this okay that I'm writing this book? You know, I'm using my voice, which as I've said, and I said in the book many times, I was very afraid to use my true voice, the real me. Um, and she said to me, you know, the experiences that you've had that you want to write about are things that many people have had, yeah. but they don't necessarily have the words. And that's why you have to do this. And she yeah. said she, she, she could sense a green aura around me, like in that moment, because she said by doing it, I was opening up that chakra Whoa. and I was finally allowing, <sighs> and, you know, in a way that is sort of like that horseshoe symbolism, right? Cause like when you open up your heart, not only are you letting love in, but you're letting it out too. And and I honestly think we're living in a time where a lot of people have blocked heart chakras. Yes, yes, it gives me goosebumps. I was just trying to remember, you said something, voices uh, born for this, but there was something else. There was an, a quote that you said, it is only when we're comfortable in our skin that we are alive. Like I'm getting yeah. goosebumps again, just, just, soaking that in only when we're comfortable in our skin that we are alive that was so powerful for me to hear and um to understand the journey that you've gone through 
and feeling so comfortable with yourself where you're saying, okay, I don't have to fight for this. I can just be okay. Or if no one is being a vegan, it's okay. I can still do that because I want yeah. to. And in incredible, incredible work. Um, you also mentioned a few times, like the thin place, the thin place. I just love how you started little, um, little quotes and, and, uh, uh, sort of telling the audience like that's what it is that's what it is this is the cue yeah, I, it's a, it was like a heartbeat yes love that i wanted it Sorry. to feel like that okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just jump um yeah it de definitely feels like like that was what it was a heartbeat and then um another quote that you said going back a little bit about your dad it was um to let into my dad's world, all I needed was a locksmith. And yeah. oh, that just gave me just, I was so emotional when I was listening to that because you were, you're so eloquent with your words. I felt like I was listening to poetry. Thank when you. you were, yes, you, you were talking about so many things, but it was so symbolic and, and the locksmith and what that meant and getting into people's worlds and, and, um, I honestly would not have enjoyed it as much, I think, if I had written in paper because I could hear in your voice um, the emotions that you were transmitting. Yeah, people and, have told me that, yeah. Yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah, but, you know, I think, I think that's how spirit communicates mm. is the thing. I think spirit communicates in, in poetry. Symbols in yes. symbols and there you 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 know you know when it's something from the other side because it's simple and yes. it's beautiful and and when you look it's like when you look at art when you look at paintings and you know you feel something and that's why people go to these museums and they look at these things or when you go and listen to an orchestra you know or you go to a show it's like you're connecting on a level that's so simple it's yes. not complicated you know yes. um and and so finding the exact right word to um, explain an experience like that. It's like, I always felt I was, I was drawing on something else. Like something else was helping me. Yes. Love, love, love for sure. Every part of your book. And, um, I wanted to ask you where can people find your book or buy your book? Um, and well, first of all, the name of your book, <laughs> of course, <laughs> which I'll put it there, but, um, if you want to talk a little bit about it, I can, I can yeah, also say um, my father's list, how living my dad's dream set me free. I love that. I people love that. Say, and... so many people will say that flippantly, like, Oh, how did it set you free? And it's like, God, what a hard question to answer <laughs> because there's so many ways. The book. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, there's so many ways, but I would say probably the most principal way is, um, when I say me, set me free, it's that me you and I have been talking about this whole time, right? It's that real me, that that heart that's right here that was just wanting. I mean, I think I have a moment in the book where I describe going through therapy as a teenager and sensing there was a little girl in there and yes. no one was listening to her. And I was the one not listening to her. And how many of us have a little girl right in here, you know, mm -hmm. who wants to be heard and who was never fully heard and, and not because I, I had wonderful parents. That's the thing. Like, it's not their fault. It was that I just didn't know how to do it. I didn't yes. know a culture was not teaching me that that little mm -hmm. girl's voice mattered. Yes. It's, I mean, it's I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm lucky that I had a mother who listened to me. 
you know, mm-hmm. but we don't, I mean, if you don't have that either, it's a longer yeah. road. It's, it's really interesting because I have heard many people that have wonderful parents, but still they will always find fault in their parents and not see the entire picture. And I could hear in your writing that you were seeing your parents are, as human. You were not yeah. putting them in a pedestal. You were not either sending them to hell. You were seeing them as human and seeing the gifts that they were giving you in every step of the way, which was really, really in- incredible. And You're then also, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I see it. I see, um, I see your perspective. Your perspective is humble and is, and it is also so insightful. And of course, going to therapy and everything helps a lot. Um, but I think that in your nature is that in your nature is to see the upside down, you know, things that see the other side of the other perspective of things. Like, I think that that's who you are in general. And, um, thank you. Nowadays, of course, everybody's just, you know, talking about, oh, yeah, my therapist said this and said that. But back back then, you could never talk about therapy. You would just hide that you were ever yep. receiving treatment. And so I think that the book arrives in such a place where people need to understand how hard it was and how lucky they are that they can now be so willingly able to go in and get therapy if they wanted to. Um, Yeah, but even I appreciate that you said that. But also, I think even with therapy, it's like if you're not getting some kind of spiritual therapy as well, like a spiritual mm -hmm. treatment, you know, there's only so much that identifying um, a mental health issue or, or, you know, psychological issue or something with regulating your emotions. There's only so far that that can go. There's only so much that that can do when a lot of times what people really are feeling is a spiritual depression and and they're not in touch with who they really are and you know that was a journey i went on myself that i had to figure out and and i think a lot of people do need to do that can you say a little bit more about spiritual depression um you could feel spiritually bankrupt you could have everything going your way or seemingly on paper and 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 feeling like you know oh okay i feel like i'm a true adult now because i can regulate my emotions and i don't let them get the best of me or you know, I feel like, okay, my ADHD, that's in check. Like I'm, I'm, I'm accomplished and I'm being financially stable and, and I'm, I'm true to my word. And, you know, I've made all this progress with all these different things. And maybe even like your relationships are finally going smoothly because you've now navigated that and you have figured out how to um, be accepting and forgiving of people and also forgiving of yourself. But if you are still lost in a spiritual way and you don't have any kind of relationship with something larger than you whatever that might be i don't care what it is but even if it's just the higher you like we were talking Mm -hmm. about before if you don't believe that there's something more um it can become a spiritual bankruptcy because it's like Mm -hmm. you have you don't have your why you know you don't have your why am i living why am i here why Mm -hmm. am i doing this do Mm -hmm. does it even matter and, and yeah. I do think we're living in a time where that's a big issue for people. How so that's why we're that? seeing this. I'm sorry. No, no, please continue. I interrupted. I was going to say, that's why I think we're seeing this mindfulness movement right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How did you learn to be that, that spiritually connected? Oh gosh. I don't know. I think I always was, and I didn't know it was real. 
You know, mm. I think I always had it, like we were talking in the beginning of our interview, um, this ability to connect on a deep level. Um, but, you know, I just thought it was a superstition or something. Like, mm. like if I lived in a headspace, like a lot of people do, I wasn't living in a heart space then. And mm. when you live in a headspace, you need proof, you know, you yeah. need logical answers for things. And I think in order to do my dad's list and go on a lot of these adventures, and some of them seem, you know, pretty out there <laughs> for, for who I was, um, it required so much faith and trust that it was putting me in that space mm. to allow that, that person I really was to blossom on the inside. Mm. And also, I think just being out in nature more, um, mm. I became a runner and becoming a runner changed me because it meant you know, I, when I first started running, I was so embarrassed about my what my running might look like that I would do it only inside. Like I would be <laughs> on the treadmill and I would be at the gym at work. And, you know, I was like, oh, God, what if my outfit's wrong? <laughs> it was like ridiculous. Um, and then eventually I, I made the leap and I started running outside. And that's a big difference because being out in the world and saying, OK, I don't care about my form. I don't care if you think I'm fast or slow. I'm going to be out here doing this. And I think that really put me back in touch uh, with who I was as a little girl, that little girl navigating the woods with her dad and her brother. Um, even though I'm now running, I'm still back out there. And that's where we're supposed to be. You know, there's a reason why when we go on hikes, we feel like we're home. Yeah. I keep asking you, like, where did you get that? Because I know that the, there are some people that were raised you know, in certain religion or traditions where they're like, oh, yeah, that's part of who I am. My grandparents were doing this, whatever. There are people who have spiritual awakenings or experiences. And there's people that find their spiritual connection through some purpose or some um, something that they do. And I was just wondering, like, where were you in that category? And it seemed like you are a little bit of, of everything, you know, growing up in yeah. a small town and with religious parents, but also in nature, and then just having your grandmother and so many different people in, in situations that sort of like felt you like you were connected to something. But then also, I think that the connection with your dad through your book and through the list, I think that like really, really awakened that. Am I interpreting that? Yeah. Correctly? And I mean, the only other piece of the puzzle, I think, is my marriage. I think it's mm -hmm. my marriage more than anything else, because I married I married my soulmate. Um, oh. And when I met him, I, I knew it was different. You know, mm -hmm. I knew it was this was a different connection oh. than the, these other guys I'd been dating and nothing against oh. those other guys. I fell in love with someone in college and he was lovely. But when I met Steven, it was like we met online. It wasn't in a bar like, like I was used to. And he <laughs> fell in love with me for me, you know, for my brain oh. and my heart and my words and um, oh. our voices on the phone together. And that's a very different way of falling in love with someone than yeah. through appearance, mostly. Wow. Um, wow. And we just became best friends. And, you know, it's been 20 years now. And uh, this is a person who has helped me be brave enough to to be who I really am, mm. because that's who he loves. And I hope I do the same for him. And I think if you have that in your life, it speeds things up a little bit with finding uh, your purpose. Totally. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and so supportive. I can see. Uh, at a, and I was reading in the book as well how 
he was like, yep, you go travel. You want to go travel? Go for it. No worries. And I'll be here and support you in every Mostly, trip. And every... Yeah, <laughs> yeah not, exactly. You know, we, we all have our hiccups. <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. It's not it's not always perfect. So if you could uh, look at your journey and the conversations we, we had today, what would be one, two or three things that you would like to recommend people to do or suggest or or something that you think wow this really served me and maybe can serve you what would be some some of that um i would say the first thing is um look at yourself in the mirror like mm. do it regularly Ooh, really nice. really do it because i think a lot of people who have shame that they've been carrying for a long time and this was something that i used to experience when you look at yourself in the mirror you're not you might be making yourself up for going out in the world, but you're not looking in your your eyes. I mean, sometimes you can have so much shame, you can't, you can't do it. You can't even look in your own eyes. And I mean, if you look in the eyes of a person you love, who you're intimate with, why can't you look into your own, wow. you know? Wow, that's that, really that's good. A, that's a small thing, but it's a big thing for a lot Huge. of people. Huge. Huge. Yeah. Totally. I mean, cause oh. if you, cause it's, it can be scary for someone who's carrying a lot of shame to do that because yes. that might mean, working on the things in your life that like whatever you're doing to numb, you know, or whatever, you're still carrying the, the emotions you don't want to deal with, you don't want to feel, you're going to have to bring those up and start working on them if you can just look at yourself first. Yes. So look yes. in your and own eyes. That's step one, I would say step two, write a list of the things that matter to you. Ooh. Um, someone pointed out to me the other day, very astutely that I had mentioned in an interview, that I did that a couple years before I found my dad's list. And it was just on a whim. I read about women doing it and I thought, oh, I'm gonna try this. It was actually, <laughs> it sounds so stupid, but it was a diet program. <laughs> mm -hmm. The women were trying to lose weight and it was like the group of women that actually wrote the values list were able to lose a couple of pounds, whereas the other group <laughs> didn't. And I was get, about to get married and thinking about my wedding dress. That's really all it was. Um, but I'm so happy I did that because what it what it did for me is it really clarified who I am. Um, and I had this list now that I carried in a notebook and I could look at it whenever I wanted to. You can put it on your phone. You can do it anywhere. But to actually say to yourself, here's what I value. Mm -hmm. um, I think it does something where it takes it takes the pressure off. It, like it takes your mm -hmm. focus of am I valuable? It mm -hmm. takes that and it shifts it to what do I value? Right. So now you're approaching life as a subject. And, and you're taking that agency and that ownership of what you're doing. And that's so different from, you know, like we were talking about before, am I a woman who is valuable mm -hmm. to others? Because who cares? Yes. <laughs> like it just you become valuable to others when you give, when you, when you yeah. add value, like you're through your actions, not through any, any accoutrements, anything about you. It's what you're doing. So I, I think that's that. step two. And then step three would be write your list. Mm, right, right. What yes. you want to do. And it, it, it can be just like my dad did. I think he mm -hmm. was really wise in, in writing. This is what I would like to do. Mm. They weren't duties. They weren't obligations. Um, they weren't because mm -hmm. sometimes people have said to me, oh, I'm afraid to write a bucket list because it means I have to get it all done. And you don't have to. That that's yeah. not how fun works. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's exactly. what you're doing, right? When you write a list, you're you're prioritizing fun. Like like mm -hmm. you're getting to feel like a little kid again and you're saying, I know I have all these responsibilities in my day to day life. I know I have that. And these mm -hmm. are my commitments I make. 
but Mm -hmm. I also make room for this. I make room Mm -hmm. for enjoying being alive. And um, I really do think that step three of getting to have this um, closeness with your spiritual self Mm-hmm. And, and a very in, inner sense of purpose, because once you set out on doing something that truly is interesting to you, that you're curious about, that you're yearning to learn more about, that means that that's the thing you're supposed to do. Like, that's how you find it. Because people are always saying, oh, what's my purpose? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But that it's like that intersection of the thing that you love that makes time go away when you're doing it and that you're just, you just want to learn more. You have like an insatiable appetite to learn more about. And that's what should be on your list. I mean, fun things that are just for a whim too. whatever you want. That's the cool part. You can just choose whatever you want. And now you're making your own rule book for your life. Mm -hmm. So you're free to live as you, as opposed to, am I enough for everybody else? Love that, love that, love that so, 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 so much. I have like a million more questions, but we're going to have to do round two because I I just, I'm fascinated by everything that you're bringing Yeah, it's amazing. Like I'm really, um, like really inspired by you, by what you're saying. The journey that started as like, I'm going to avenge my father, you know, kind of feeling. There was anger in the beginning. Yeah, yeah to now this like, wow, thank you, you know, for this gift, you know, it's just, oh, I'm just getting goosebumps. Um, so where can people find you? And then when you launch your jewelry, uh, (laughs) and, um, I'm assuming, well, I know the book is available on Amazon because I, I bought it there, but where can you find more about your course? Yeah, my website. My website has all the links by lauracarney.com. So you can just go nice. there, by Lara Carney. And yeah, maybe you're right. You're, you're more of an entrepreneur than I am, I think, Nancy. I need to, <laughs> I need to hook up with that jeweler and yeah, start yeah. selling her wares. <laughs> I know. And the, the entrepreneurs that are going to listen to this um, this podcast are going to be like, and she can do this and she can do that. So we're going to be inundated with, with suggestions. So really a real good pleasure talking to you. I just feel like so inspired and so honored that that you joined us here today. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I feel honored that you got so much out of my writing. It really touches my heart. Thank you so 